Let's pray together. God, it's so good to be here uh, at Mosaic Church, and we are thankful for what you are doing among us. I'm thankful for uh, the time that our worship team led us in. Thankful for LaRonda and her leadership and uh, just her heart for you that she brings to Mosaic Church, God. Um, thank you for our teens who are meeting out right now um, in the coffee lounge area. Thank you for our kids who are meeting downstairs and in the, in the nursery. Um, God, we are just in awe of, of you working in people's lives. I thank you for Pablo and Griffin and Ashley, who today are publicly declaring their faith in you, who are saying to their friends, to their family, to their church, and to the world, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a citizen of heaven. I live by Jesus' rules. He's my king. I don't live by the rules of this world, and I'm going to let his light shine through me and show it off to the world. So God, thank you. And as we open the Bible now, uh, or here in a few moments, I ask that you would soften hearts in this room, each of us, God, to hear what you have for us this morning. We love you, Jesus. Amen. All right. Uh, I want to start out with a question. What is the picture of God that you have in your head? So when someone says the word God... Do you get a picture of God in your head? I think we all do. You say God and something pops up in your head. For me, uh, so as some of you may have heard, I did turn 40 today. Yeah, yeah, that, that is today. That is today. And uh, if you're anywhere around my age or, or older, you, you also grew up with the Far Side comics, uh, reading the Far Side and Calvin and Hobbes uh, every Sunday in the paper and buying the books. That was a highlight of my childhood, one of the highlights. So I remember these pretty hilarious pictures of God that Gary Larson drew in The Far Side. This one, God is creating the world in a little baking pan, and he has all the salt shakers up of birds and different skin colors of people and reptiles, and then that can he's shaking says jerks on it, and he's shaking it in saying, uh, and just to make it interesting. Gary Larson had a whole bunch of these pictures of God. Uh, this one, God at his computer, there's a button that says smite, and this poor uh, gentleman is, is getting a piano uh, to fall on his head. And uh, maybe we'll come back to that sometime during a Why Do Bad Things Happen sermon series. But even these funny comics, we look at it and we go, oh, God's an old man with white hair and white skin, or in this picture, he had blue skin. And even though we know it's a cartoon and it's far side, those things still get in our head, right? Maybe God does push a button to drop pianos on, on people's head, right? So think about in your head, uh, what, what picture of God do you get when, 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 I, when I ask you that? A second question, what is the type of person God will welcome into his home? And what's the type that he won't welcome into his home? So I want you to think about you're at your house, and somebody, or your apartment, or whatever it might be, and someone's walking down the street, or they're walking down your hallway, and you look in the peephole of your door, you look out the window, and you say in your head, I am not letting that person in my house. There's characteristics of a person that you're saying, A ain't coming in. I don't care what they got, what they're selling, they're not coming in. 
What about for God? What's the type of person God will welcome into his home? And, and what's the type he won't welcome? This is how Luke sets the scene in Luke 15. We're going to look at the parable of the prodigal son, which is a pretty uh, well-known parable of Jesus. But before we get to the parable of the prodigal son, Luke sets the stage. He's, he's writing this, and it's, the stage is really, really important for the story that Jesus is going to tell. So this is the first two verses of Luke 15, and it's the introduction of this chapter. And check out the two groups of people that Jesus is talking to. They're very different. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. That's one group, tax collectors and sinners. And verse 2, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They're muttering. Muttering is never good. If someone's muttering about you, right? <laughs> like, you know this is, not a, this is not a good mood being set already. Essentially what this is, who Jesus has in front of him, is the group that would not belong in church. So Pharisees and tax collectors, I'm sorry, sinners and tax collectors, they don't belong in church. Other spots in the New Testament talks about prostitutes following Jesus. Tax collectors were hated people in Jewish society. These were Jews that had basically traded in their, uh, they, they, they had, they basically were traders. They traded in their, their allegiance to their own people, the Jewish people, and they became employees of Rome, the Roman Empire, the evil empire, the man. They traded it in and they became the collectors. The tax collectors would go to their own people, the Jewish people, and they'd say, you owe your taxes to Rome, and they would add on extra that they would pocket for themselves. So they traded in their own people, and they were greedy, and they stole from people, very, very hated. And then sinners was just a general term for that carousing group of people that Jesus was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard when he was around. The second group is the pastors. They are the Bible trivia champions. This is the group that we would say, oh, they belong in church. Those are the kids that had all the gold stars on the Sunday school wall growing up. These are church people. That's who the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are. They're the religious leaders of the day. They literally would have had the Old Testament memorized. That's pretty impressive. Or at least the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Try doing that as your New Year's resolution. <laughs> you will not be successful. These were churched people. Luke sets the stage. It's about to go down. It's about to go down because the church people are accusing Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Now, both of these groups in different ways felt like they didn't need Jesus. The church people, the religious people, they didn't need Jesus because they had it all together. They had it all together. They, they were obedient to the Bible. They were the all-stars in the Bible trivia class. They didn't need God because they had earned their way into that top seat. The, the, the sinners and tax collectors, many didn't think they needed Jesus because they had whatever their next fix was. They had what they thought was giving them satisfaction in life. They were empty inside, but they had their next fix. They were empty inside, and they had their next fix. And so I want to ask you the question, if today, this morning, you think you don't need Jesus for either one of those two reasons, you've got it all together, or you've got your next fix, is your way working? Just meditate on that for a second. Is your way working? Is it working? 
Is it working? When you look yourself in the mirror, is your way working? Okay? All right. Uh, many new people today at Mosaic, welcome. We are we're a different cat around here. We believe in community and we believe uh, in getting to know the people you're sitting with. We think that's important. That's why you're wearing a name tag. We're only going to make you do this one more time. It's right now. We're going to split you back into your groups uh, for about five or six minutes. And I want you to talk about these two questions. Uh, we, we intentionally pick questions that are approachable. You don't have to know anything about the Bible to answer these. Uh, number one, think of different movies, TV shows, cartoons like The Far Side, etc., where God or gods are portrayed and talk about the way he or they are portrayed. So it could be the, the Greek gods of mythology. There's many movies about them. Uh, just think about the way Hollywood portrays God or gods. Just try to think of some examples like I did with The Far Side. And then number two, what speaks to you from this painting by Rembrandt? I'm going to give you a little background of this painting. It's called The Prodigal Son. This is the passage of scripture that we're about to read, is The Prodigal Son. You don't have to know anything about The Prodigal Son to look at that painting and see what speaks to you about it. Rembrandt, very famous painter. You probably heard the name. Uh, he was married, had four children. His wife died. Three of his children died. He remarried. His second wife died, and his fourth child died. He once was wealthy. He became bankrupt. He became bankrupt on, you guessed it, wild living much like the character in The Prodigal Son. He painted this painting, one of his last works before his own death in the last year or two of his life, The Prodigal Son. The, the, the man kneeling down on the ground on his knees is the, 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 the lost son that went away and came back. The old man with the, the red doing this is the father. And the man in the, in the corner, I guess you're right, standing up, looking down condescendingly, is the older brother, the older brother that did everything right. So up on the screen, I have Luke 15. You're uh, free to just follow along on the screen. Uh, you can pull it up on a, a phone Bible or a paper Bible. Um, this is the prodigal son, uh, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells the story. But before I start reading it, you, you have to remember who that audience was. You have the sinners and tax collectors right here, and you have the Pharisees and teachers of the law right here, and he's going to give this story. And there's a hint, just like the prodigal son painting you saw, there's characters in the story, and the sinners and tax collectors are one of those characters. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are another one of those characters. And Jesus just gives the story about the people that are listening to him. It's very, very powerful. All right, Jesus continued, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons, the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. I'm going to stop just a couple times to explain some things. When the younger son goes to his dad and he says, give me my share of the estate, he's saying to his dad, I want my portion of the will. Now, when, was a, when, when is a will meant to be activated? It activates upon death, Right? Okay, so this son was going to his dad, and he was saying, Dad, you are dead to me. I want my share of the estate. I'm, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of you. You're dead to me. Give me my share of the estate. That's pretty strong. That's pretty strong. The dad in the story is God. So we, we immediately have to ask ourselves that question. 
when have we gone to God and essentially done the same thing? Going to God and say, you're dead to me. Give me what's mine. It's a powerful way to start the story. So the father does. He divides up his property between his sons. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Okay, one more pause here. None of us would sign up to want to eat pig slop. We, we, we understand the imagery of how destitute that is. But there's another layer that we have to understand about the first century context and about these audience that we have here. Pharisees, teachers of the law, sinners, tax collectors. In the Old Testament, pigs were an unclean animal to eat. So it was against the Old Testament religion of Judaism to eat pigs. Jews to this day don't eat pigs for that reason. Any pork products, bacon, ham, etc. Not only could you not eat pigs, you couldn't touch a pig. You couldn't be around a pig. It was called an unclean animal. If you were around a pig, if you were unclean, you couldn't come in to worship. You had to go through a ceremonial cleanliness process before you could enter into worship. So in this parable, the younger son, he is feeding pigs, but he's wanting to eat what the pigs are eating. He's essentially become a pig. He's become the most unclean, way of expelling himself from the religious community as possible. This would have been very palpable in the room as Jesus is telling the story. So it continues in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, this is the younger son, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to the father. Now in this moment of the story, I want you to think back to what you thought of in your head when I asked you to think of a picture of God. The story's played out. The younger son told his dad, you're dead to me. He went and wasted all, he, all of his money on wild living, the text says. Not only wild living, eating pig slop, the most unclean animal he could be around. He's, he's squandered it at all. This would, this, this would have been whatever sort of debauchery you can think of. This is how the younger son lived his life. In complete rebellion against the dad, Okay. Now he's doing the walk of shame. How many of us have experienced the walk of shame before? <laughs> Walking back to dad's house because he's hungry and that's where the food is and he's walking back. What picture of the dad do you have in this moment? It's very important. I think if we're honest, most of us would think of a dad who would be angry at the son who would be furious at the son, who might have every, actually would have every right to say, you aren't my son. Remember the will? <laughs> you, you, you made me dead to you. 
You're not even my son anymore. Get off my property. I think that's how we often would think of the dad playing out in the story. We often think of God in that way. That certainly would have been how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the experts in religion, would have thought of God at this moment in the story. So let's see what happens. But while he, the younger son, was still a long way off, the father is on his porch doing this, looking. His father saw him and was filled with, what's that word? Compassion. The father was filled with compassion for him. Here's a picture of God. He ran. He ran running to his son, running to his son, throws his arms around him and kissed him. That's our God. That is the picture of God that God himself gives us of himself that Jesus is telling us in this story. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. This is the picture of God. He's a God who celebrates. He's a God that throws parties when his sons and daughters come back to him and come back to life from the death of their sin into the life of Jesus. Not the far side God. Not whatever picture of God has been imprinted on us, maybe by our parents, maybe by our Sunday school teacher growing up, maybe by that time we got scolded by the pastor. This is God. This is our Father. Very quick takeaway points. Pablo, this will be quick. Pablo's like, oh man, Noah, I got three points up on the screen. We're going to be here for the next hour. This water is going to be cold by the time he gets done with this. I promise. I promise it'll be quick. All right. What made the younger son repent? Repent, by the way, means I'm walking this way. I walk into my sin, and I turn into a 180, and I go to Jesus. And I say, forgive me of my sin, but I'm going to walk with you now. What made him repent? Guys, he was hungry. The text said it. Just straight, it's right there in the parable. He was hungry. That's why he came back to God. He was hungry. He was desperate. He was desperate. And I want to ask you again, how many in this room are hungry right now? How many of you are hungry right now? And what you're eating isn't cutting it. The pig slop isn't cutting it. And in your desperation, the father is on the porch waiting for you, saying, come on back. I am right here ready to throw a party for you. I am right here ready to have a feast with you. Number two, the second reason he repented is he remembered the Father's love. He remembered the Father's love. You have a father back home. This father is not like your earthly father. This father is not like your earthly father. This father is not like the far side comic father God. 
This father is a God that runs to his children and throws his arm around them and throws a party and kills the fattened calf. Remember your father's love. And, and last, he left the pigs behind him. When, when he repented, he didn't bring the pig with him. When you're going to hear three stories of three people, Pablo, Griffin, and Ashley, and they're not perfect, nor am I, but they're going to share with you about their decision to follow Jesus. And their decision, whether they share it in details or in general speaking, of leaving the pigs behind and walking back to the Father. But that younger son didn't walk up the road with the pig on his back <laughs> saying, I'm coming back, but I got to take this slop with me. No, no, no. This is a, trading it in. Trading it in for a new life in Jesus. And lastly, last thing I want to say, he tried to earn it back. Did you notice that in the story? The younger son said, I can earn it back. Friends, brothers and sisters, we cannot earn grace. We cannot earn the love of Jesus. With love, there's no scoreboard. With a paycheck, there's a scoreboard. If somebody gives you a loan, you got to pay that number back. God's love for you, his grace for you, is not a loan. <laughs> it is a gift, and you can't pay it back. And the father says, you're not going to work for me. You're not going to be my servant. You can't pay my love back. You are my child. You're my daughter. You're my son. You were dead and now you are alive. For the son of mine was dead, and he is alive again. He was lost, and he is found. So they began to celebrate, and we're going to celebrate this morning. We're going to celebrate together this morning, just like God celebrates in this story. Uh, I want to just give you a, a quick instruction about baptism before we have our three baptisms this morning. Uh, at this time, I don't know if somebody's designated, maybe Mark, to go grab the kids, uh, but you guys can go grab our kids and our teens, and get the little kids too, so that Ashley's daughters can come back in here. So um, if somebody's making sure that that's happening, I'm happy. Um, so I want everyone to know that these three uh, individuals that are going to go under the water and come back up, this water doesn't save anybody. This water doesn't get anybody into heaven. Jesus saves. <laughs> Jesus gets you into heaven. Amen? Amen. And that's really important. That's really important. This water is, is a command by Jesus uh, that we would be baptized to publicly demonstrate our faith in him. I love Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 because it's just so simple, so clear. It's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that nobody can boast. So this act is a work. You're not saved by this act. Uh, one more passage I like to share on Baptism Sundays. It just explains how we're saved. It says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. So Jesus is the righteous one. He's the holy one. We're the unrighteous ones. We can't earn God's love. Jesus did it for us. He created the way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, so that you can be back in relationship with the Father. I like to talk a little bit about this analogy of a wedding. Uh, the three people getting baptized today, they've already married Jesus. They married him through their faith in him, through confessing of their sins and saying, I want you in my life. I want your forgiveness in my life. I'm putting my faith in you. 
That's, that's their relationship with Jesus. The baptism, it's like wearing a wedding ring. I wear my wedding ring to show people that I'm married. I could take my wedding ring off and I'm still married to my wife. But the wedding ring is a public way of showing that. I had a wedding ceremony that friends and family attended and they witnessed. And in their witnessing, they said, we're going to hold you accountable. We're going to hold you accountable. If you come, if you, if you come around uh, a year from now and, and you tell me that you have a new girlfriend, I'm going to slap you upside the head because you're married and you made a covenant to your wife. It's not that different with our faith in Jesus. Friends and family, you're here. Church family, you're here as accountability to Pablo and to Griffin and to Ashley who are saying, I'm marrying Jesus. And there's not going to be a new girlfriend or new boyfriend coming down the line. I am married to Jesus and I've left that old life behind me. I'm not going back to the pig slop. And when we get tempted to go back, we have a whole family around us that keeps us walking on the path towards Jesus. So this is the public declaration of the relationship that saves us. And then last, I'd just like to have this, this scripture up while we do the baptisms. It's just a beautiful picture of the metaphor the Bible gives us of going under the water and coming back up. It says, we've been buried with him, with Jesus, through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of God the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. So at this time, I'd like to invite Pablo to come on up front and Pablo is going to share uh, his testimony. And, um, and then he will be baptized. Come on up, buddy. I think maybe stand here where I was standing. I'm going to give you this. And right here. Oh. Give maybe a second to get it on. I think you're good do, now. Do, do. Good. Thank you. Yeah, man. Very reliant case. <laughs> <laughs> so as you guys notice, Noah likes to take jabs at me because I take jabs at him. And I told him that he just looked like Reliant K. So <laughs> um, if you guys don't know who I am, my name is Pablo Garcia. I am a big supporter of Mosaic. Um, most of you guys probably don't know, but when Noah was visioning this, I was, we were having those conversations, what side of town there should be on what, like those initial conversations I was a part of. So I love what you guys are doing. I'm very blessed by that and what's happening here in the community in the 49507. And I work here, so in the 49507, so like I appreciate it. Um, I'm just going to give you a brief before this. I am choosing to do this. Um, it's been a rough couple, couple years, uh, I'll be honest. 2020 was, uh, was rough for all of us, I think. And before that was even rough for me. Um, my greatest blessing in life is my wonderful little daughter over there. Her name is Raylan. She's eight. Um, but what she doesn't know is that she saved my life. Um, I had just, when I found out I was going to have Raylan, I was part of a church, um, very evangelical white movement that tokenized me, marginalized me, excommunicated me, and destroyed everything about me. I was on every magazine cover. I was on every newspaper. And if it could happen for kids like Pablo, it could happen for kids like anywhere, anyone. Um, and I carried those burdens for a long time. I felt like I had done something wrong as I've grown up because I was like, why did I allow people to take advantage of the color of my skin? 
and that wasn't fair to me. Just because I'm Latino doesn't mean that that's all I have to bring to the table. Um, and I, I use that example to say that God is so, so good. And this last couple years of being able to be a father and a single father at that um, have really shown me that like I was more than the color of my skin. I was more than my Spanish speaking abilities. I was more than the opportunities that I've had that were broken down and the things that I lost um, in that church. And I did, I, even, even with all the stress of that church, I still gave them five years of my life in ministry. Um, because I thought that's what God wanted me to do. Um, and on my way out, all I got was uh, after everything we did for you, and it just really reemphasized that like pain of, wow, this is, this is all I was here for. I was just here to be a face. But in 2021, um, the world shut down. You guys probably remember us losing everything, all communication, working in a school at that time. Um, I had a really good group of friends, a really good community that I built around me, and we were meeting twice a week to deliver meals to families um, on the west side, west side strong. And um, I was so blessed by that community, and they're still my community. I still meet with them um, every, every couple months. We've all grown up a little bit since 2020. Um, now that I'm engaged and one of them is married and the other one just had a baby, it's been, our community is a little crazy, but it's been great because when you have people who support you and who love you and who treat you, it's just such a wonderful blessing that God has brought. And um, I found this verse this morning. I wasn't attempting to find a verse this morning. And uh, in 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner, rather join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And I choose to make this declaration this morning because it is for his grace and his purpose that I'm still here. It is his grace and his purpose that I survived um, an attempt to take my own life. It is his, it is because of him that I still stand and I refuse to die and I refuse to give anything else other than myself fully to him. And um, this last year, I think it's just like the biggest thing was surrender is the biggest thing I've had to learn. I think when you get engaged and when you get ready to get married, um, learning how to surrender to your partner um, in a, in a loving way, right? You have to understand. And then surrendering to family and new jobs. Um, and those are all things I've had to learn this year. And I have a friend who's a pastor who said, Pablo, you, you stopped running because you just needed to sur surrender. God never stopped chasing you. And I think, how, how awesome is that? Right. God never stopped pursuing me. Amen. I just needed to listen. Mm. So. Amen. Amen. Well, we were a little ambitious on the water this morning, so prepare yourself. It's very warm. It is like a hot tub, so that you're not going to want to get out, uh, but it's going to overflow. So just be prepared for the, 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 the grace of the Lord to overfloweth from our cup, and then we're going to mop it up later. So, uh, <laughs> Pablo, you're going to sit right here with your legs that way and just sitting up like that. It is very warm, very comfortable. I don't 
<laughs> I couldn't do that to Griffin and to Ashley, so. <laughs> yeah, all right, spin around, face that way. Yep, and then I'm going to sit down and put your legs out that way. Pablo, have you made the commitment to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? Yes. And do you want to show that publicly today through baptism? Yeah. Amen. Here, let me have this hand. I'm going to plug your nose with it. It is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in his death and raised with him in his resurrection. Amen. Amen. There you go, brother. Love you. Amen. All right. Next up is going to be Griffin. Pablo, you're welcome to sit in here like, like a wet, uh, you know, cat or something. <laughs> or you can go get changed and dry off. Whatever, whatever you decide. Come on up, Griffin. All right, we'll stand right here. Uh, Griffin wrote out his testimony, and I'm going to read it for him, unless you change your mind. <laughs> All right, these are Griffin's words. He says, my life before faith was filling a missing piece of me with drugs and alcohol to no avail. It was an unhealthy and unfulfilling time of my life. I believe Jesus died for our sins, and as long as you have faith, you will receive the grace of God. I was brought into church by an old friend where I met Noah and now my wife, Kenzie. After putting my faith in Jesus through the help and guidance of Noah, my wife, and I have now, uh, with the guidance of Noah, my wife and I have now created a wonderful family. I have been blessed with an amazing daughter. That piece of me that was missing is now found. Amen. All right, brother. Amen. All right. That is actually really it is very warm. <laughs> All right. Griffin, have you made the decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And do you want to show that publicly today through baptism? Yes, I do. It is my privilege, I'm going to plug your nose with that, to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in his death and raised with him in his resurrection. <laughs> Amen. Amen. And one more. Ashley, come on up. These are Ashley's words that I'm going to read on her behalf. Hi, I'm Ashley Morton. I joined Mosaic Church in October, well, really in August, after talking to Pastor Noah about his church and how different it was and how it made me feel safe. 
I already knew Jesus before coming here, and I had a connection with him that started to fall off once my grandmother passed away around this time last year. And I just felt like I needed a restart of all this. I was in a dark place, not knowing what to do or who to talk to. And then just one day I decided to go to an event my uncle was volunteering at back in the summer. Then I started to come with my children and that's when I realized this was the church for me and that I can come as I am and will be welcomed, not looked at funny by anyone or felt uncomfortable. It felt easy. I felt comfortable and I could wear what I wanted to wear. Just like God said, come as you are. I believe he loves me and every season in my life, including the one I am in now. So by getting baptized, that would be my commitment to him to always stand by him as a child of God. And since I did that, I feel more at peace and I feel more love and can also show love to others. Amen. You're all right. Nobody believes me how warm it is. <laughs> all right. Ashley, have you made the commitment to follow Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? And do you want to show that publicly today through baptism? then it is my privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in his death and raised with him in his resurrection. Amen. Amen. Here's your glasses, Ashley. And here's your phone if you want it now or later. We can leave it up here. Okay, amen. Can we give our three newly baptized brothers and sisters a hand? Give God a hand. Amen.